we do utilize Avalara within our NetSuite ERP. You know, it was the big Wayfair case that was nearly maybe a little bit over four years ago or right around four years ago, I think at this time, that really kind of has forced a lot of our accounting and finance counterparts to really look at on a state-by-state -state basis. So that's something that we began doing three, three and a half years ago. In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading account payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. My name is Ben Murray, and I'm excited to welcome Chad Wenderling, Chief Accounting Officer at SalesLoft. Great to have you here, Chad. Thanks, Ben. Glad to be here. So let's kick this off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and SalesLoft. So I've been at SalesLoft for almost four years now. Started in the role of corporate controller and currently now the Chief Accounting Officer at SalesLoft. SalesLoft is develops software as a service, which is used by all individuals within the revenue function. So think sales and then also customer success and sales ops vision and mission is really to, for all buyers to be loved by the sellers that they serve. So what sales op does is we've got our traditional CRMs, dynamics, of course, Salesforce. Sales loft is the engagement layer that is between the CRM and the customer and all of the sales individuals and customer success individuals work out of sales loft, do all their activities out of sales loft, and then that flows back to the CRM. So people like myself and our CFO, when, when we want to ask questions about, you know, what activity metrics and that sort of thing, all of that activity starts in sales loft and goes back into the CRM. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, as a CFO myself, it's like all that interaction I have with sales and marketing. And, and now as a CRM or a SaaS product that does this specifically, you must have some great data. So I'm en envious of, of the data that you must have around your sales pipeline. That's exactly right. And I think from a metric perspective, of course, is, you know, sales pipeline is a very important one. Certainly. Yeah, big, a big one. Yeah. So it'd be great to, to figure out kind of size stage of where sales loft is at, whether it's revenue or employee size. And then I want to talk about, you know, your team structure, what departments report to, you know, so let's, yeah. let's start there. So let's get, you know, how, what can we have for a sense of scale for sales loft right now? Yeah. So sales loft is, let's see, I think we, we announced and reached, it was about last July, nearly a year ago, we reached the $100 million ARR milestone. And we've been growing around in the neighborhood of 50 to 60% on an annualized basis. We've got nearly 900 employees. We just entered from an international geographic standpoint, we just entered Singapore. So in Asia, also uh, in addition to Asia, we're in Mexico as well, and then have a presence in London and also within the traditional EU. Okay, so that's, yeah, huge scale, plus now kind of a, a global company, global sales. 
So tell us about your, your role as chief accounting officer. So what departments, what does that structure, you know, so who, who reports up to you and what are those teams? The traditional revenue accounting. So that includes everything from really order, kind of closed one order through cash, and then all the revenue recognition in between. In addition to revenue accounting, we've got corporate accounting. So that includes such things as all the accounting for the non-revenue items, but then in addition, procurement, payroll, all the related AP items. And then the other one is going to be tax. As we've continued to mature and continue to grow and on our kind of our public readiness path, tax is a function that we've built some internal competency for. So we do have a tax director at SalesLoft. So revenue, corporate accounting, tax, um, probably unique to me and kind of um, my function at SalesLoft, we have the project management team, which, which reports and rolls into me, which includes our global facilities function. So a little bit unique there as our leader, our PMO leader works on cross-functional, very high stakes, high leverage projects that are very cross-functional in nature within the business. And another role that we're actually hiring for right now, as we continue to specialize in many ways, is Director of Technical Accounting and Financial Reporting. And then the other function that we have, we do have presence today, and we've built and will continue to build and scale, is really sort of more upstream. And it relates to before we get to the revenue accounting function, where it becomes a closed one order, our commercial finance and deal team. If we think about it, sort of analogous to the inverse of procurement, this team helps and works directly and partners with our sales team to help structure, put together deals, establish guidelines. And it's really a not only a control function in terms of ensuring that we are putting good quality deals together on the sales side, but then also um, creating an environment, a process environment to ensure that we can achieve high quantity deals, you know, so that we could deals can move fast while also being of good quality as well. So that's, that's my function in the whole. Yeah. So a lot going on there, but makes sense with your scale and plus now global reach. And so with 900 employees at SalesLoft, so how big is your team report, you know, all those departments reporting directly to you? How many staff approximately on your team then? Including myself, 19 total employees, including me, and then that really includes, from a traditional accounting and finance standpoint, that really includes 13 once we adjust for the kind of the, the commercial team and the project management team. So 19 total and 13 sort of we call it kind of like traditional accountants, including in revenue and corporate accounting. Okay, thanks for making that distinction. That's an important one. So about 13 and what do you'd say kind of traditional corporate accounting. So, and then I saw there's a LinkedIn post out there. It was talking about how fast you close. And I think you said kind of three to five days, maybe. What is your, you know, close target each month? Yeah, so it really is. I mean, by day six, seven, the team is really walking myself through. And by that point in time, I've had a good look at the numbers looked at a lot of our reconciliation, but the team is walking myself and then our CFO through all the final results. So I'd say like, here's, here's the key that, you know, we, in full, full humility, we continue to try to master, you know, in our world on a monthly basis, you've never had it. You've never achieved it. You need to do it more. You need more experience doing it. What we've been able to 
sort of define as, as a pretty good process is the monthly close. And specifically, our key to success there is, you know, we have this idea in accounting where it's kind of like the books close on the 30th or the 31st, whatever the last day of the month is. But there's nothing that really says that we can't begin the close process earlier than that. So what we do at SalesLoft is we begin the close process on the 25th. And so we run all of our depreciation. We run all of our amortization. That's all booked by the 25th. All of our prepaids, it's all booked by the 25th. All of our credit card statements, boom, cut off on the 25th. We're then classifying them, getting them properly coded to the proper departments, all of that. And then if there's anything that comes in between, say, the 25th and 30th, one, with our PO process and procurement process, we should have a pretty good idea what that is. So we should have very few surprises and be able to, and the few surprises should allow us to accurately and completely accrue for it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, hey, if anything that comes in that was maybe outside of, say, that scope, and then it should be immaterial. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just catch it the next month. And then what that allows us to do is by, by really, by the end of day one, morning of day two, we've booked everything. Everything's all booked. And even by that point in time, in partnership with our FP&A team, we're beginning to review by function. You know, what, what are we, what's our look on sales and marketing efficiency? How do we think about that? Is there anything that looks weird? And then we're looking at a relative to budget, relative to forecast with a very fine tooth comb by function. And then ultimately, you know, then it becomes really, you know, how do we give that feedback then, as you very well know, back to the business? to then take operational action on that while it's still reasonably fresh in everybody's mind. That's great. And I told you before the call, we could probably talk for hours here, but I know, yeah, monthly close, a lot of science, a lot of process, but I think there is an art to it as well, just orchestrating all the movement that happens in that close process. And like you said, my experience in big words is at works as well, like kind of day minus five, four, three, we're starting to do things that we know we can do and then we enter, you know, the close cycle. So really interesting. So the next question, you know, your role as a chief accounting officer, working, I'm sure, closely with the CFO and FP&A team. So what numbers are you guys reporting to your board or, or helping the CFO or FP&A pull this data together to present, present to your board? There are a lot of the majority of, of our metrics will be just like many of the other companies, mm-hmm out there, such things as bookings, gross retention, net retention, uh, new logos, CV, all of that sort of traditional stuff. But where we really try to put our attention at sales loft, and this is where it's, the you know, finance is at a unique place because we can, from a leadership standpoint, really try to drive this across the business and help the business lead in this. And that is, while there's a lot of discussion around net new sales and bookings and that sort of thing, I think at the end of the day, we all really realize while being intellectually honest with ourselves that it's customer retention that is really the long-term differentiator of, of our business and of our success. So where we try to really come in and try to help and provide good visibility is let's look at leading indicators that can help us understand net retention and our retention rates. Such things are is 
customer adoption rates, you know, really digging into the data. Okay. Customer adoption rates. What are certain features that the entitled users have fully adopted? What have they not? Such things as various integrations, say with Salesoft, are all the integrations being utilized? Are those fully adopted? So those are kind of some examples of some data metrics that are maybe next level that at least in finance, we can dig into, work with the product team, work with the sales team and the customer facing team to really help drive and to get kind of a good indication of future revenue. Yeah, no, that's great. So as a SaaS company, obviously, you know, some of those traditional metrics, bookings, gross, net retention, ACV, new logos, but like you said, customer retention in the long run, and then now shifting more to those leading indicators, adoption rates, you know, and it's pretty amazing, you know, and not surprised that this has infiltrated the entire finance and accounting org at SalesLoft or other SaaS companies, not just, you know, FP&A talking about this, but the entire finance and accounting org. Uh, so pretty amazing. And now let's talk shop around your tech stack. So tell us what are those mm-hmm. important tools that that you use you know, as part of your monthly process, your, you know, your GL, anything else that's really important to closing books? Yeah, it all starts with, with NetSuite, which is our ERP. And we've been on, let's see, NetSuite for about three years. We made that transition a little over three years ago from QuickBooks to NetSuite. A lot of lot of what we do is within NetSuite, including our invoicing. And then beyond NetSuite, from a procurement standpoint, we do have a procurement tool, Coupa, which is, is inclusive of the PO process, helps us with accruals. And outside of that, from like a financial reporting analytical standpoint, we have adaptive insights. And that also kind of goes hand in hand with our HRIS tool, Workday, which we utilize as well. And then beyond that, which isn't necessarily a lot involved in the close process, but is a great, really great tool is Carta. We use that for all of our stock compensation, equity piece, which is owned by the accounting team from from an administration standpoint. That's a super valuable tool, especially once we get around to the annual financial statements and all the disclosures there. So so Carta, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. So those those are really the big software tools. And then one last question there with now your global reach, anything on the the sales tax compliance side that you have to look at, or do you need sales tax compliance now that's not just say US-based, but also just globally to make sure you're compliant? Yeah, that's a good one. And something obviously I didn't mention, but but something that that is very critical for us and that, that we continue to stay very close to. We do utilize Avalara within our NetSuite ERP. And, you know, it was the big Wayfair case that was nearly maybe a little bit over four years ago or right around four years ago, I think at this time, that really kind of has forced a lot of our accounting and finance counterparts to really look at on a state-by-state basis. So that's something that we began doing three, three and a half years ago. And it's something that we've got to stay very close to. I'm very grateful for our director of tax. And that's part of the reason why we invested there because she she leads a lot of that. And, and it's something that we, you know, with, with our rate of growth, if we pick our eyes up and our nose up off the ground, then we might be have lost sight to it, but we still got to stay very close to it, sir. Yeah. Oh, definitely interesting. And I won't get on my soapbox about U.S. state sales tax compliance. It's, <laughs> it's a bear, especially for small businesses until you're at scale where you can hire those experts, you know, the experts That's right. in those fields. So 
Now let's transition into your career and your journey. You know, of course, now chief accounting officer at Salesloft, but really interesting, you know, started out in public accounting. So really curious on that perspective as a CFO, of course, I've had auditors on the other side of the table auditing my books, you know, in SaaS companies, but tell me, you know, how did that prepare you for going in-house, you know, into the in-house accounting function? Did it prepare you, not prepare you? Any surprises, you know, in that experience in public accounting and going in-house? I started my career at KPMG in their auto practice and actually Minneapolis, Minnesota. And what that allowed me to do is that gave me, first of all, KPMG has, you know, great presence in Minneapolis, and it gave me exposure to public companies in addition to private companies, and also luckily in my case, some startup high growth companies as well. So from a skills standpoint, one of the great things that that starting in public accounting, some very underrated skills that I acquired in my time in public accounting was what I would call two meta skills that us as accountants and finance leaders, we often underrate. And that is one, a sense of customer service and client service. In serving clients, I had to be, I had to do that every day. I had to bring my best every day. And still on this side of the table now, which I've been for uh, over, over a decade for 12 years is there's nothing more than I appreciate than great client service from auditors. So I think it gave me a sense of that. I think the second thing is in a way, while I wasn't a partner, it's with my projects and with my success, depending upon the client getting providing me information when I was an auditor is I had to sell and I had to sell my idea. I had to sell my efforts. And so it gave me some, some sales skills as well. And, you know, I often say now because of being, being in, in the software sales engagement space, I often tell a lot of our young people and others throughout the company that, that, you know, selling is a life skill and we are often our own most frequent buyers. The sales skill and customer service were two things that, that I certainly got that exposure to. Now, I would say on the technical side, one of the other great things mm-hmm. about public accounting is you've got great exposure, hands-on exposure to, to financial statements, how to put those together, the relationships between those, and then also a fine sense of why details matter. You know, with an audit, it's, you know, you're ticket and tying, you're agreeing everything out. The details matter and it's, they all add up in aggregate to something that's very important. And then I would say the other big thing that has served me throughout my career that, that I learned in the audit practice in my time in public accounting is project management skills. So even though I help lead our project management function at SalesLoft, I was forced to, in, in public accounting, really develop some of those skills. And it's in a lot of my experience as an auditor and leading engagements, audit engagements really forced that on me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So love that two meta skills, sense of customer client service, had to sell, learn the selling process, hands-on exposure, details matter, of course, at the finance and accounting function. And then Looking back, is that a route you would take again? And for those listening, you know, considering different career routes in finance and accounting, would you start public accounting and then jump in house again? I would. I think about it a lot from where I've been the last 10 to 12 years, which has been on the side of a hiring manager. 
at the time, Ben, when I was in public accounting, I, I didn't quite understand or appreciate, probably is a better word, I didn't quite appreciate the value that public accounting really provided. And it's the speed at which individuals learn. So like you're getting, you get so much, you're kind of, you're drinking from the proverbial fire hose. But then in addition to the speed is that there's an element of quality that an individual is learning through sound fundamentals, the details, the ticking and the tie and all that stuff. So I think it's, you know, I often say or think about it in this context when speaking to you know, college students that have big aspirations is in a way for, for a finance professional, whether you're in accounting or, you know, thinking of going into FP&A, one of the things about public accounting and the big four as a whole, even if you're not on the traditional accounting side, is it's kind of like a graduate degree at practice and an application for finance professionals. So I think because of that and the rate at which individuals can learn and the experience, I would definitely recommend it. Okay. Again. Okay. Yeah, that's great to hear. So you progressed, right, from public accounting, now in-house accounting roles up to obviously chief accounting officer, and, you know, a lot of leadership experience under your belt now, and you mentioned something called T-shaped leadership. You know, so tell us, what exactly does that mean for those listening? We often hear a lot about scaling, scaling companies, scaling departments, scaling for growth, scaling for this, scaling for that. In at the heart of it, we have to keep in mind as leaders that that it, it, it starts and ends with people. And it, particularly with hiring and, and scaling, it is being driven by individuals. And so one of the key things that I've learned throughout my career and have had the benefit of learning is that one of the critical attributes that you do have to hire for are as you build functions and as you build specialties like we've done at SalesLoft and what we, like we continue to do is you've got to hire leaders that can really scale themselves. So I like to use the metaphor of being, being a T-shaped leader. And that is someone that can go really deep in something, kind of roll up their sleeves and dig in, but then also someone that can go pretty broad and whether it's learn new things, their curiosity leads them in a new direction. They see an opportunity to add more value in the business. They can kind of go across their traditional tools, kind of tools to hone more skills at, at the benefit of, or for the benefit of you know, the company and overall value creation. So that's one thing that I try to certainly look for and assess for in, in the hiring process. And that's very critical for scaling as we scale our functions and companies. That's come up with other finance leaders and what I've experienced in my own career and even just my own learning is that as you progress from that junior staff position, sometimes you kind of get lost in the weeds. You know, you can't go up and broad, you know, but it's just, it is a learned, I don't know, experience skill over time in your career to be able to do both, to be able to go deep, like you said, roll up your sleeves and then also look at the big picture you look at the broad perspective and then also look at, hey, what skill set do I need to enhance here over my career? So really interesting because it does, that's come up a little bit with other leaders. So with your current team, I've traditionally thought accounting, you know, I sat next to my team, the camaraderie, we closed the books. Have you posted this? Have you done that? 
in now remote work with the pandemic, right, accepted. And what's the status with your team? Is it in, are we in a headquarters location? Are we working remote? Is it a combination? It's really at the discretion of the individual professional. Mm-hmm. So I think at SalesLoft, what we've done is, you know, we've given all of our professionals the autonomy to make the decision that is best for them as an individual and as a person and their families. So long, of course, as, as we continue to get results, you're given that trust, you're given that autonomy. And I think with us, as particularly as an accounting team, as we work through closed process, big projects, the annual financial statement audit, is the key thing is having constant dialogue, having constant dialogues. And the way that that's done is, first of all, from person to person, is we've got to develop relationships. That's the first thing, particularly as you know, team grows, new people come on, develop relationships, and really have constant dialogues. And then as leaders, be very clear with expectations. And as I often say is, and encourage a lot of our young people, self-accountability, accountability is a superpower. So, you know, ensuring that a lot of those kind of those core value elements of accountability, responsiveness, seeking results are all there. And then it's, then it's about our dialogue that we can constantly have, whether it's on Zoom, something like this, even if it's spontaneous, but then also, you know, or even Slack or various kind of chat channels and some emails and stuff like that. But then it's really about as leaders and as managers is how can we be very clear with the expectations and what everybody's responsible for? So then, then everybody delivers. Okay, so it sounds like, okay, up to the individual, work from home or in the office, but constant dialogue, develop those relationships. Being a self-starter is so important. And then expectations around their duties each month. And then have you had to adapt? Is it just more communication, better process? Or have you had to adapt any tools to kind of overlay on the closed process just to help this out? You know, or, you know, how, how, do, how do you think about that? Yeah, we actually haven't had to overlay or acquire really any new additional tools. So that's been a benefit, I think, to this point. So nothing really additional for the, we had a lot of really good kind of tech infrastructure two plus years ago when we went out on COVID. So we didn't necessarily have to make a lot of incremental investment, you know, as we got into the COVID period. But, you know, so far to this point, I think it's, it's worked pretty well. And at the same point in time, you know, whether it's, you know, team projects, there's various points in time during our annual financial statement audit where we did gather as a team as in small groups at the office to kind of work through and work through some big projects together and work together as a team. But we've been able to make it work. No, that's great. And I think we should all give a a round of thanks to all our internal IT teams who provided that infrastructure so we can work anywhere we want to. Often they don't get enough thanks from the team. But so final question here that's near and dear to your heart is hiring and recruiting. And earlier you said, hey, it's about the people. And really, in my perspective, well, SaaS companies, right? It's people. You know, you look at the P&L, it's people. So important to the org. That's the competitive advantage that we have. So tell us, you know, about your approach to hiring recruiting, since this is, you feel like, you know, this is really a passion of yours. It's a passion because what I've learned in my career, and maybe this has been a little bit the hard way, has been 
One of the highest leverage and biggest returns that we can do in terms of return on ROI on time is hire the right people. Hire the right people that are the right fit, that are the right skills, that have the right mentality. So, you know, I think I think in terms of recruiting, you know, one of the biggest things is we often think about recruiting in the context of new hires, getting new people. But we can't forget as leaders that that really the people that we're recruiting, the most important people are the people we currently have. And that's typically obviously in the form of employee retention. And then, and I think what that comes down to is obviously the relationships, you know, caring for them as people, establishing that, having empathy, knowing them as a full person, ensuring that they bring their, their full self to work, and being that productive environment that will increase employee engagement, then our whole idea is like if engagement is high, then results will be achieved. Now, when it comes to the traditional recruiting of, of new hires, you know, this is quite a time or it has been quite a time where, you know, the, there's the war on talent. It's often said war on talent. And, you know, it's one thing that, that I've talked to various leaders throughout Salesoft and you know, one of one of the one of the great skills, it's almost like a meta skill, like I referred to earlier, is recruiting. And we are all responsible as managers and as leaders to recruit and to hire. So then how do we go out proactively, own it and do it? And yeah, sure, we might have an internal recruiting team or seek external help for talent acquisition, but really it falls on our responsibility to hire individuals. So one thing that I've learned through my experience of big attributes to look for from a talent perspective is, you know, I want to have, I want to understand and really try to get a good understanding of the individual's aspiration. And then also look, see where there's opportunity for me to increase or for our leaders to increase someone's aspirations, because I think that's a very, very high leverage thing that we can do as leaders. And I think beyond aspirations is, understanding and getting a clear understanding of someone's accomplishments throughout their career. And we're often hiring individuals that maybe are in the process of developing experience. So they're earlier in their career. So it might be very difficult and challenging to assess, you know, what, you know, how we think about them as talent, you know, because of a lack of experience. But I think one of the things in those particular cases that I try to seek to understand is what's their durability in terms of how do they persevere? You know, how do they work through challenges? How durable are they when, when they maybe hit a roadblock? So I try to really look hard for durability. And then the other thing, kind of just other things at the margins that I want to try to understand are who are those relationships that they formed with people around them? Kind of those long-term relationships as well because that says a lot about the person. And, and as we both know, Ben, and have mentioned, it's, it is the people, you know. So great, yeah, great tips for the finance and accounting leaders out there. So understand the candidates' aspirations, their accomplishments, how they work through challenges, and then what relationship, relationships are important to them. And does that change at all? You have a lot of experience in hiring, Chad, as a chief accounting officer. You know, if you're, like you said, hiring a director level position, do you still look at those th- same things? Or are there other key things that you look at because you're hire- trying to hire an experienced role? 
One thing that's important to consider that we've considered at SalesLoft as we've grown and, and scaled and continue to attempt to scale is I always think about, instead of thinking about what are the number of heads or what are the number of FTEs in our function, I think about it in terms of what are the skills that we don't have today that we will need? So think about it in terms of like competencies or skill sets. So that's one thing that I always try to think of and look for is what are the skills that we need? And typically in our cases, we continue to grow. It's more specialized skill. So as we move up kind of the experience level is obviously the more specialized skill and experience will change depending on what roles we're hiring for. So as experience increases and technical skills increase, whether it's you know, systems integration experience and Salesforce to NetSuite type of experience, or whether it's technical accounting experience and more in-depth kind of hands-on experience with, with various technical accounting items. You know, with the experienced people, we've got the luxury of, of understanding what they've accomplished. But at the core of it, the kind of the core skills and in, in, in ensuring that and assessing for the role fit with that individual and with sales law, that remains pretty similar as we continue to move up the experience rank as well. Okay. Yeah. Really helpful. I think we could all take as many tips and tricks and experience around hiring and recruiting. So looking at, yeah, it sounds like assessing your team, what skills don't we have? Is their experience a good role fit for our team and company? So a lot of great advice here, amazing career journey, starting public accounting up to chief accounting officer. So one final question. So if you had one piece of advice to give to modern finance leaders, what would it be? Let's utilize each other more. There's a lot of great talent specialties that are out there in the world of our cohorts and colleagues and counterparts. And I've been fortunate enough to come across you a couple of years ago and all the great work that you do. And I think there's so much knowledge sharing that we can do with each other that I often feel that it's an underrated effort. We, we often underrate the value that can come from really learning from each other. So that would be something for sure. Probably my top thing that I'd recommend. That's great. Yeah. So leverage each other and tap into their skill and knowledge set. So that's great. So appreciate you taking the time today and, and sharing your career journey, you know, amazing journey so far, and I'm sure it's going to continue long after this. So again, Chad, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com slash leaders of modern finance. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the most powerful way to process and pay invoices. Stamply is the only accounts payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that accounts payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.